0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry.
1: The book of Hebrews is a demonstration, I think, of how to read the Bible how to view history, and even how to view the human circumstance. So as we've talked for two weeks, it reads the Bible in this way we've been describing theologically, or figuratively, or as Paul will say, typologically. And that is, it's not simply as history. Uh, Certainly the history is important, and it's not to deny the history, But it's more than history. It's applied history, we might say. Or it's personal history. That is, it comes to pertain to us. And in this history, the theme is the manifest hope of salvation. So, the hope of salvation. That is, there is an immediate practical now in which we live differently And as with all hope, there is a future completion, the heavenly kingdom or the future. But it's unfolding now. In other words, we need to emphasize both things. And to overemphasize one or the other, I think, is to lose balance. There is a tension, there should be a tension in this hope. That is, we are caught between now and not yet. And the danger is that we will focus on either the now, you know, just make everything earthly and imagine it is just simply heaven come to earth, or the not yet, oh, it's not anything at all having to do with the earth. Either one is to miss the truth. The not yet is the tendency to de-emphasize the reality of this world and to imagine reality is somewhere else, well, this misses the incarnation of Christ, this misses the historical Jesus, this misses the unfolding of scripture from within history. the now, though without the not yet, puts all of the focus on this world and misses the transcendent, it misses the future, it misses really it misses the sense in which God is breaking into the world. The two divided, though, look very similar. The now may be atheistic. It may be materialistic. It may be nihilistic. And even if it calls itself Christian, I think it's still atheistic, materialistic, and nihilistic. But for all practical purposes, the not yet can also be nihilistic, atheistic, in practical terms. Both miss God breaking into the world. We need both the now and the not yet. We need eternity breaking into time. Not all time and not all eternity, but the two coinciding, intersecting. And so with that in mind, let's read Hebrews 4, 6-12, in which there is this picture, a kind of theological reading, of the Sabbath. A Sabbath rest that is available now, that we are entering into. We must not fail to enter in, and yet it is a process. Therefore, since it remains, for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, several things to notice here immediately. In the book of Hebrews, there is this continual warning to Christians. Don't fail to enter in, because you can. Don't trample upon the cross of Christ, he says elsewhere. Don't turn back. You know, don't die in the wilderness. And in this reading is demonstrated this theological or allegorical reading we've been emphasizing the last few weeks. But also the power of scripture or the word of God we see here is taken up in this theological reading. That is, he's saying through Christ, through his word, through this word that divides both joint and marrow, soul and spirit, Those who hear his voice, this voice opens up, this word opens up a Sabbath rest. Hearing God rightly, we can enter into this rest. What rest? What are we talking about? Is this a psychological reality? Well, yes. Is it a corporate church reality? Yes. I think it's both individual and corporate, psychological and social. It's even philosophical. It's even political. And it's experiential. It remains for us corporately and individually to enter in. And of course, the picture is to look back as some did. Some got attached to Egypt or as Lot's wife, you know, she looked back and did not enter in. But right now, today, we are to enter in. And of course, the picture God himself is part of this rest. The power of God's word is the means of entering into this rest. And so the writer is comparing the church to Israel in exile. Israel's in the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land. And we're entering this promised land of rest. And I think the present progressive is the right word. It's a process that we do. Rest pertains to our reception of the word with a capital W here, the word Christ, our subjective position in this word, but also how we view things, how we view the political situation, how we view the social situation. After all, isn't the main thing, you know, Israel gets caught up between the politics of Egypt and the politics of Israel. And so I think these verses are a case in point about the Bible, but also about Christ as the Word and about our reorientation. That is, I think we can begin to describe a really different experience. What is being described is the weight and significance of the Word of God and of human experience of the Word. But of course, this is inclusive of every part of human experience. When I say human experience, don't think this simply my private individual thing, but don't exclude that either. What it means to enter the Sabbath, to reorient ourselves through the word, first of all, it's compared to being in exile or bondage and then being set free or entering into the promised land. And of course, this is a theme in scripture, beginning with Adam and Eve there is the depiction of exile of Adam and Eve they're exiled from paradise and they're exiled into a world of mortality of death of suffering of sin and then in the second Adam Christ there is restoration and it is the tension then between these two estates between now and not yet that really defines the way the New Testament is going to use the historical narratives of the Bible. We all repeat the movement of Adam and Eve. We all repeat, or the church repeats, the movement of Israel in exile and return. Jesus, the Son from heaven, descends into corruption, into the place of captivity, into the place of exile, into the grave, And says, come out. Come out of Babylon. Come out of Egypt. Come out of captivity. Come out of the storms of life. Out of the fallen world. Out of sin. And rise into forgiveness. Enter into immortality. Begin the process. Enter in. Come into the rest of God. And so we're like Israel in the wilderness. We're like the Jews in Babylon. Captivity to the world. Jerusalem can be rendered as Christ's salvation. And these things are read as a figure of the human experience. Now to say it's a figure, don't imagine that decreases its reality. It is to say, no, this is the reality for all of us. This is the truth of our experience. This is the movement of the Bible, but this is the movement of history. This is the movement of the kingdom of God. Overarching all of these things are the figures of Adam and Christ. You know, Christ carrying through Adam's restoration, through his own captivity. He's been subjected to sin and death. It is in the movement that the Christian is caught, you know, within the world. We're being set free. We're entering into the rest. We're not wholly free. We're not wholly imprisoned either. We're entering the promised land, the New Jerusalem, the promised rest. But there is the notion of history and time and our story. It's a progression. You know, that's our discussion. Are you saved? Well, the question's not a very good question. It should be, are you being saved? Are you in the process of salvation? Because that's the way salvation is depicted. That we're on a pilgrimage, we're on a journey to Jerusalem above, the promised rest. And we can get this wrong then in several senses. We can imagine the place we are arriving, it's too far out of our reach. And we can lose hope. We can lose the sacramental sense in which God is being delivered over to us continually through the church, through the love of Christ. You know, That's the picture that he's here with us. We can lose the sense that we have access to God, that we have access to rest. And this can happen to Christians. and can be caused even by a misunderstood Christianity. So a Christianity all about leaving this world. Certainly we want to have a hope of heaven. But not a completely different, disconnected, discontinuous reality. Maybe we could call this a Platonic Christianity. That's what Friedrich Nietzsche called it. It pictures the not yet of rest as completely cut off from the now. But the worldly part of this can also receive too much emphasis. And the strange thing, I think, that they look very similar. Complete focus on another world empties this world out of meaning. But complete focus on this world empties out the transcendent meaning. And where the meaning is completely placed elsewhere, as in a Platonic Christianity, I think there is an intrinsic nihilism, you know, that Paul says, shall we do evil that good may abound? In this sort of Christianity or this sort of worldview, the answer might be yes. I mean, in a sinful understanding. The world is all we have, and this is almost nihilistic. We can state it philosophically, we can state it politically, we can state it psychologically. I believe the political fascism that we're presently living through in this country is very much tied to a Christianity of the not yet or future variety. We do not need or want kingdom ethics now. In our political leaders. We want them to be brutally pragmatic. We want them to accomplish things. We don't want somebody meek and tender like Jesus. And we turn to pragmatism. And of course this is also fascism. On the other hand we might picture it all right now. In a kind of Marxist Hegelianism. And the extreme forms of Christianity has done this. Maybe the two supreme followers of Hegel are Marx and Freud. But they're really kind of conservatives who brilliantly recognize, oh, really all we have is darkness and nihilism, and they imagine we can manipulate the darkness, but there's only now. So get over it. You know, Learn to live in the darkness. Learn to live in the wilderness and not the promised land. And so we can wander in the desert, maybe we can comfort ourselves, but this world is all we have in this misunderstood Christianity. What all of these thinkers, atheistic, Christian, Marxist, nihilist, fascist, I think what they've rediscovered is what the Bible calls living in exile. We are in prison, we are in the wilderness, we are in Babylon. And this is at the center of the teaching of Jesus. He places himself and his disciples within this turmoil, within this exile, within this captivity. But of course, he also offers healing and restoration and comfort. It's not the comfort of Plato's, not yet, nor is it the comfort of Babylon's now. It's now and not yet. In Luke 9.23, he puts it this way. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Are you saved? Well, if you do this, you're being saved. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses himself for my sake, he is the one who will save it. It's a process. If you attempt self-salvation, you lose your life. If you follow the salvation of Christ, you gain it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. This describes a psychological, social, political strategy and reality. And I think many of the sayings of Christ, those calling us to be disciples, are in these exilic terms. You know, the disciple must not be in Luke 17 like Lot's wife. It says, whoever seeks to keep his life, remember Lot's wife, you will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says in John 16, So that in me you may have peace. We can have peace through Christ. Not on the world's terms. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage I have overcome the world. There is not an abandonment to the world. Nor is there a commitment to the world. This is an overcoming. He says in John 15. If you were of the world the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We cannot manipulate the world any more than Christ did, but neither can we escape it. This is what Friedrich Nietzsche calls Socratism. It is the refusal to deal with human reality. Christ deals with reality. He deals with death. He deals with finitude. He deals with the realities of the world, but he defeats them. Nietzsche says, well, we need to get rid of religion, but then he says we need to invent a new religion. This is his picture of the overman. And This becomes very pertinent historically because it's Friedrich Nietzsche that Adolf Hitler is reading and imagines himself to be the Uberman. And what Germany illustrates and what the times we are living through in the United States illustrate is that we can become fascist Christians or we can become Marxist Christians. We can turn to the extreme of now or the extreme of not yet the extreme of the left or the extreme of the right and we can miss the power of the word of God we are in exile among those who would gain the world in order to obtain salvation but Jesus warned the not yet of exile is real it is real for Adam Abraham Paul John and even for Christ we see in Christ's death, his torture, his exile. This is one side of history. History looks like Jesus, but we have to understand both sides of history. You know, Platonic history, Platonic Christianity gives rise to atheism of two kinds. There's fascism and there is Marxism. You know, there's a kind of religious fascism and atheistic marxism really both caught up in the same problem this plays itself out this failure it plays itself out philosophically politically but also psychologically actually plato does a psychology that freud picks up but actually this sounds just like the apostle paul plato pictures a black horse in which the charioteer of reason is to subdue by teaming it with the white horse. You know, black, white, good, evil, uh, human desire. Oh, we need to gain control of that black horse. We need to gain control, Paul says. You know, I do what I do not want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. How does Paul resolve the problem? Is it the same as Freud? No, because Freud is founded upon the notion that the ego, as the center of reason, can gain control over the passions of the id, of desire, of the unconscious. Paul says you can't. You can't do it. But you can only when you are enabled through Christ. Now, the end of Freudianism, actually Freud lives through the First World War. He's forced to flee Vienna, at the beginning of fascism. He sees his own family, his own sister, slaughtered in Hitler's death camps. He loses his favorite child to an early death. He himself contracts mouth cancer. And he grows less and less confident about his, he called his understanding the new science, or the understanding that we control these things. In fact, he comes to believe we can't control anything. Friedrich Nietzsche calls for an apocalyptic break. You know, he says we need to get beyond good and evil. He did not know of a Christianity focused on the redemption of the world, which is, I think, what Christ is describing. This is the very definition of New Testament theology. It's inaugurated this world eschatology. It's the now and not yet. We are entering into God's rest. His kingdom has come to earth. His world, his kingdom is being established here and now, unfolding into heaven. There is the recognition of exile. We recognize his kingdom has come to earth, but it's not established. It's being established. There's the recognition of being deceived. There's the recognition of sin and death. But there's also the recognition of God breaking into the world and that Christ has given himself, that we have access to the word of God. And so the point of the word of God, the point of the Bible, the point of Revelation, is the realization of a real world freedom from slavery, freedom from Babylon. We recognize Babylon, but we recognize we're called out of Babylon. God has invaded the world, not to abandon it, but to reclaim it. And so Christ as word, Christ as reality, founds the history of both exile and restoration. This is the movement of the kingdom, and this is the movement of Christ. The relation of time and history to him has priority, not the other way around. That is, we don't read Christ as part of history. We read history through the lens of Christ. We do not look to history to find Christ, but at Christ to find history. We do not look to humanity to understand Christ's humanity, but we understand what it means to be human in him. He is the first human one. He is the true Adam. We do not understand his word on the basis of philosophy, on the basis of psychology, but we understand these things through him. And so if the words of Christ are divine, if he is divine, then his meaning explains the fact that the freedom brought by Christ is the one that takes place within our existential experience in the midst of exile. We have continual access to rest as we enter in. We're entering in to the promised land. But it's in the midst of exile that restoration and return are enacted. So, we're on a pilgrimage. Salvation is a process. Time and history are not an end, but a process of unveiling God. Time as becoming history, not only as exile, but it's God's way of speaking about recreation. There is rest in the midst of unrest. While it is today, enter in
0: please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.